Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, and this word finally is not saying this is the last thing I'm going to talk about, but hey, remember this about if you forget everything else, I need you to remember this part. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We said that word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. We said that word means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The most repeated word here and the most repeated key word in this verse is against. What this is letting you know, this is face-to-face combat. This is who you're up against every single day. So he's reminding you that your real enemy is not people, but there is a spirit world that has arrayed itself against you, and there's demon powers that are fighting against you every single day. You may think, you know, Sister Susie is a devil. She's not a devil. She may look like one, talk like one, smell like one, but she's not the devil. Principalities work through personalities. Principalities work through personalities. The real enemy is not people. Your real enemy is not Karen. Your real enemy is the devil, and he's working through personalities to get his will done on the earth. Notice what it says next, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The word withstand means to resist. What is the evil day? The evil day is the day of trouble, the day of test, the day of trial, the day of the attack. So go with me to John 10, 10. We'll look at how the enemy works. Your real enemy is not people. Your real enemy is the devil. And he works through deception. John 10, verse 10. Since the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So call Satan, the devil here, a thief, and it says he comes to steal. The picture this verse is creating is to steal or to take away by stealth. This word paints the picture of a pickpocket who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. See, a lot of people think Satan would be the type of person who would break into your house, rob you what you got. But this is not how he seeks to operate. He seeks to act as a pickpocket. And the art of the pickpocket is stealing through deception, stealing through distraction. So if you're distracted right now, I know Satan's stealing from you. If you are offended, Satan's stealing from you. He gets you to try to focus on something else so he can steal from you. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, doing a little bit of review until we're going to where we're going to today. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Satan operates through deception. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. 
The word deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. Deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. And as he lies, he tries to get you to believe the lie. When we talked about the gates of hell last week in our previous series, the gates of hell are the powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censure, sentence of hell. It is Satan's propaganda machine. It's his efforts of injustice and the financial tactics of hell. All of these things, every attack Satan has is cloaked in deception and filled with accusations and lies. He is a liar and he is an accuser. An accuser is someone who charges with an offense or a crime or a sin. So you have to make sure that you're not operating in deception and you're not operating in accusation, that you're always accusing and spreading rumors and going through these things because you have to realize if you're always throwing accusations at people, you're not acting like your heavenly father. You're acting like your enemy. And we live in a day of age where people want to cancel everybody at the slightest accusation. Be careful who you're acting like. If you were to take all your posts, your tweets, your Instagram posts, your TikTok videos, your YouTube videos, all these things that you post, who would it look more like? Your heavenly father or your enemy? Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Let's re-examine some of these strategies of the gates of hell. Because Satan only has five strategies and they're cloaked in deception and accusations. Mark chapter 5. Excuse me, Mark chapter 4, the most important parable of the Bible. Going to verse 1, And he, Jesus, began to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his teaching or his doctrine, Hearken, pay attention, listen to this. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, or crowded it out, as it's translated, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears, let them here. You skip down a few verses, and Jesus begins to interpret this parable. In verse 13, he said unto them, Know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? The sower sows the word. So this parable is about the sower sowing the word, God sowing the word into people's hearts. And how does God sow the word? He uses people to sow the word into people's hearts. So all these types of soil, the wayside soil, which is, you could compare it to the side of a highway, the heart that had was a rocky or stony ground, the heart that had the weeds in it, the good ground. All these are types of hearts. You might say, well, all of these aren't good places to grow. Why would God, being a knowledgeable farmer, try to sow in those hearts? Because God loves everyone, and he loves the hearts of the people who have wayside hearts, the people who have good ground hearts, the people who have stony ground hearts, the people who have weed-infested hearts. God loves them all, and he gives them all a chance to receive his word. And so as it keeps on going, verse 15, And these that are they by the wayside, 
where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the word was sown, the wayside hearts, it didn't plant, nothing happened. So Satan could immediately come by, take the word, and the word has no effect in that person's life. Then you the next group. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Another word for receive is to take it. When they heard the word, they took it. But as we used the example last week, this word receive also means to catch. Just like if I was catching a basketball or a football, you know, I caught it and I'm holding on to it. These people caught the word and held on to it. And they said they received it or they caught it or they took it with gladness or with a shout. They're rejoicing over the word that they caught. Verse 17, and have no root in themselves, and so they endure but for a time. So this doesn't say they never endured. They endured for a little bit. But when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now this goes back to verse 6. And verse 6 says, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. So Satan brings affliction and persecution to cause the word to cause you to let go of the word you received and the word the production that word calls he wants to scorch it so it withers away so your life looks like you never received the word of god in the first place we defined affliction and persecution last week for the simple terms affliction is pressure brought by circumstance persecution is pressure brought by people persecution has a lot of elements of harassment in it and so people want to think about persecution as people killing people for their belief but that's not actually the main definition of persecution. It is a continual, consistent harassment by people that creates pressure in your life brought by people. So one of the, two of the tactics of Satan's five tactics to make people let go of the word is through pressure brought by circumstance and pressure brought by people. As we looked at last week, systematic injustice can be defined as a combination attack of Satan of affliction and persecution. And so Satan came to take the word, but he can't just outright take it from you if you're holding on to it. He operates through deception to get you to let it go. And when you let it go, he offers you another option. As we used last week, there's another option that people take and they run through their lives thinking they're trying to score with the fake basketball, with the fake football, and don't realize they don't have the real thing anymore. And that's why they're not seeing the results in their life they want to receive. Now, one of the things that's interesting here about this word offend, it means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. It means to entice to sin. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom we ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. So Satan, his deception, his accusations, and the affliction and the persecution wants to make you begin to distrust God and desert him even though you ought to trust and obey him. He wants to cause you to fall away from God. And you know, the thing is about spiritual growth, it's not linear. Some people say, well, I've been walking with God for years, so that means I've been growing all these times. But have you ever noticed somebody who was walking with God, they were on fire, you know, they had revelation, they were walking with God on such a great level, but you see them a year later, and you say, well, what happened? It's like, oh, well, this happened, I don't even believe in that anymore. And all that growth they had disappeared so quickly. What happened? The pressure came. And they let go of the word. 
and Satan was able to scorch it. So now their lives look like they never received the word in the first place. And now, because of the affliction and the persecution, they are offended. And what happens? They begin to distrust God and begin to not cling to him as they should in faith, and they begin to fall away. And so the things that we're looking at, we see all throughout the word of God. Satan's goal is to steal the word that you receive and erase the growth and the production of that word. These attacks, as I said, are shrouded in stealth and deception. And while he does that, he presents another option. And when he presents the option, he questions the word you received. We see that in Genesis 3, the same way Satan deceived Eve is the same way he's trying to deceive us today. He goes, did God really say? And when he's saying that, he's trying to get you to loosen your grip on the word and pick up the deception. Eve picked up the deception. So many of us in this generation today have picked up deceptions, but it's time to drop the deception and grab on to the word of God. Satan will always try to cast doubt on the word of God. So you need to be careful who you listen to. Are they casting doubt on the word of God? Are they trying to make you let go of your grip on the word of God? Then you need to pay attention to where that is actually coming from. Last week, we covered how parts of the Bible were deceitfully used to back the institution of the Atlantic slave trade. We covered the slave Bible and many other things how the slave Bible was part of 14 books of the Bible chosen to back the institution of slavery. And I encourage you, because I'm not getting into that today, go and listen to part two of Faith Under Fire on the Faith Plus app or on YouTube and hear how we debunked that theory. Because some people will say that because the Bible was used to enforce slavery, the Bible is out of date and no longer relevant. And that's not true people used it deceitfully and were backed by demonic, demonic thinking. You know, even the Bible says there are doctrines of demons. And so they preached doctrines of demons to get people to believe that slavery was the will of God and to cause people to suffer under the yoke of bondage that was presented in the Atlantic slave trade. So we walk through those different deceptions and show what the Word of God actually taught and how it was completely contradictory to what was practiced in this nation. What was practiced in this nation was backed by erroneous theology, saying that black people were cursed by God, black people were inferior, and they were destined for slavery. That does not have any biblical standing either. This week, recently, after you know, I administered the message, I saw a different article shared by a news organization that, was, that shared some specific things a pastor in South Carolina preached to his congregation to back what the slave masters were thinking and lead them to succeeding from the union. And so there is one central thought, among others, that was pushed called the curse of Ham. And I want to unravel some of this. Go to Genesis chapter 9. They would misquote and mispresent what the Bible actually said. And some of that is rooted in Genesis chapter 9. And sadly, some of that thinking, although this might not be preached today, some of that thinking is still affecting people in the church and their beliefs concerning race and reconciliation and the will of God. So Genesis chapter 9. Now, if you're watching on social media, 
And if you ever heard someone preach about the curse of Ham or preach that Ham is cursed, and that's why black people are to be inferior, if you ever heard that and you're on social media, wherever you're watching, just type in, I heard that, or put a hand up saying that you heard it. Go ahead and type that so other people can know. If you've ever heard someone talk about that before, or you heard someone share that belief, whether it's somewhere on social media or some, at someone's church, you heard that, go ahead and let people know. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. This is, of course, after the flood. And the sons of Noah that went forth out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. So Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's skip down to verse 24. One of the things that happened is Noah made a vineyard. He got drunk, and he passed out because of how much he drank. And long story short, something happened while he was asleep, and Ham saw his father's nakedness and didn't do anything about it. He went and told his brothers. But Shem and Japheth, having reverence for their father, back, walked backwards and covered the father. So let's go back to verse 24. Let's go to verse 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tent of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Now notice this passage, because people preach on the curse of Ham. Ham was never cursed. It never says that Ham was cursed. Also, God never cursed anybody. Nowhere in this passage says God cursed anyone. It says Noah cursed Canaan. God did not curse anybody. So one, Ham was not cursed. And notice, too, God did not curse anyone. Now, who was Canaan's descendants? They were the Canaanites. Those were those who lived in the promised land before the Israelites. The Canaanites were not African. They lived in the promised land and lived in the Middle East. They did not live in Africa. Those who lived on the African continent came from Ham's other children, Cush, Mizraim, and Foot. The other children were Cush, Mizraim, and Foot. Ham, nor his other children, Cush, Mizraim, or Foot, were mentioned in Noah's curse. The first post-flood empire was started by Nimrod, the grandson of Ham. So there's no biblical foundation for Ham or his African descendants being cursed. And the only person you can see cursed in that chapter is Canaan, but he was not cursed by God. So the very backing of the erroneous theology that African and their descendants are destined to be slaves is clearly Scripture twisted into wickedness, presenting a lie and a deception of the devil that was grabbed onto in this nation and other nations and preached and shared and people acted on it. Now, when you go through Genesis chapter 10, it lists the children and the grandchildren of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These descendants and families create the table of nations. It's a total of 70 families. The table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 are a total of 70 families. And he says, why do you keep emphasizing the word families? It's very important. 
Verse 32 says, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these, what? These families were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now we get to Genesis chapter 11. It's a very familiar story. It's Nimrod and his empire that's spreading and the Tower of Babel, how the people decided to reject what God said. God said spread out over all the earth. They said, no, we're going to build a tower to reach into heaven. By implication, we're going to take war on heaven and we'll build a tower so high the next flood can't take it down. So they're in direct resistance to God. But they were in unity, and God said, you know, they put their mind to it, their imagination to it, and the unity, they can accomplish whatever they're going to set out to accomplish. So what did God do? This is the beginning of the Babylonian system, which is meet, trying to meet your needs without God. You were never designed to get your needs met without God. We were always designed to be sovereign to one. God is sovereign to only himself. We were designed to be sovereign to God to always be receiving from him and operating in conjunction and operating with him, while operating in conjunction with him. We weren't designed to live our life without him. But here you see the foundation of the Babylonian system that still runs rampant today of living your life and trying to meet your needs without God, without God's will, without God's way, without God's purpose. And so this is what you see in the Babylonian system. So what happens? God comes down and says, it's a visitation. He's looking at all these things and he curses, not the people, the system. He calls the system Babel. The King James says he confounded it. He spoke Babel, which means confusion. And when he spoke Babel, all these people, all these families began to speak different languages and they spread out over the whole earth. This is what happened to these families. The rest of chapter 11 goes down the descendants of Shem till you get to the man called Abram, who will later call Abraham. So we looked at how Noah cursed a family, the family of Canaan, but God did not curse anybody. He cursed a system or a way of living, but he did not curse any people group. Noah cursed a family. God did not curse any of the families. And so in the same mindset of Genesis chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, get to what chapter 12 is saying. Verse 1, now the Lord had said, past tense unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from your father's house unto a land I will show you and I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse of thee and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Notice what God is saying here. Although Noah cursed a family, but God didn't, God does not have on his mind that he wants all these families cursed. What's his will here? In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. God had blessing on his mind. You keep reading throughout Genesis, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And more about, it's called the oath. It's also called the gospel in the New Testament. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. The blessing was always meant for all people. And God was going to get his will of blessing carried out through this man, through his descendants, so all the families. Genesis 10, the table of nations will be blessed. God's mind for all races was the blessing, never the cursing. He did not destine any family group, any race, any nation to be slaves and to be subjected. He destined them all to know the power of his blessing. That is the will of God. 
every group to be blessed. And how did God fulfill it? In Jesus. Through Jesus, God wants every race, every group, every people group, every ethnicity to be blessed. That is the will of God. So now we've unraveled that a little bit. I want to go further because people don't understand that and they grab onto that deception or other deceptions we debunked last week. But here's another deceptive option that Satan tries to present today, especially in a time of civil unrest, in a time of protest, in a time of challenging systematic injustice. Because one of the things you have to understand, that when God moves, Satan also sends a counterfeit. So when God is moving to bring reconciliation and bring justice and challenge different institutions that need to fall and change. God is definitely moving in this nation. But at the same time, Satan brings a counterfeit. If you study any great awakening, any great revival in history, you see God doing a lot of great things, but you also see the enemy trying to do things at the same time, sometimes in the same building in the same city. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that talks about where there are no oxen, the stable is clean or the barn is clean. But sometimes you get a mess when you have an oxen in the barn. So there's mess that comes with revival and awakenings. It's not because God is moving. It's because people are people and they have their own issues and their own messes. But the enemy also brings a counterfeit. And so just like God has moved today, there are counterfeit movements moving today. And sometimes with good movements, what the enemy will try to do is jump in there and get in the middle of it and twist things. And so we're seeing that today. And in the midst of God moving and doing these different things and people searching for truth and trying to understand the truth, you know, we ended talking about this last week. But here's a deceptive option that people say today and it's really tried to be popularized in this nation over the last 50 years and longer. Here's the deceptive option. They say that Christianity is the white man's religion and Africans or black people would not have been exposed to Christianity if it wasn't for slavery. Here's the deceptive option, the deception Satan is trying to offer you to make you let go of the word of God you received. That Christianity is the white man's religion, and Africans or black people would never have been exposed to Christianity if it wasn't for slavery. Now, let's walk through these things. Number one, the United States is a very large country. Why did I say that? Just pay attention for a second. The United States is a very large country. It is the third largest country in the world when it comes to square kilometers. The only country larger are Canada and Russia. The only countries larger than the United States are Canada and Russia. Africa is not a country. In so many conversations I've had with people of different races in this nation, you know, they think of and they talk about Africa as being a country. I've even heard people call Africa a country. Africa is not a country. It is a continent. And I've had the opportunity to go to Africa a few times. And anytime I do, I'm flying over. Most of the places I've been is all in Southern Africa. I haven't had the chance the opportunity to go to other places. But when I'm flying over, it takes hours upon hours upon hours to cover the ma that massive continent with the speed that the airplane is moving. This about Africa. Africa is the second largest continent on this planet. The only one larger is Asia. Africa is the second largest continent. Africa is 14 times larger than the United States. The United States being the third largest country on earth concerning square kilometers. Africa is 14 times larger than the United States. You might say, well, why doesn't my map show it? Your map is a rectangle trying to fit in a spherical globe. So it's not gonna show things accurate. The United States is not the same size as Africa or anywhere close. Africa is 14 times larger than the United States. 
Africa is bigger than China, India, the continental US, and most of Europe combined. Africa is bigger than China, India, the continental US, and most of Europe combined. So why are you saying all these facts? Stay with me for a second. The Portuguese completed the first transatlantic slave voyage to Brazil in 1526. The Portuguese completed the first transatlantic slave voyage to Brazil in 1526. So are we really to believe that Christianity never made it to Africa, the second largest continent in 1500 years? You're meaning to tell me to believe that Christianity never got into that ginormous continent in 1500 years before slavery. That doesn't even make logical sense. So let's break it down from the biblical standpoint and the historical standpoint, shall we? The nation of Israel in ancient times and today borders Egypt, which is part of North Africa. The southern border of Israel is Egypt, which is part of North Africa. So we really to believe that no one from Israel made it into Africa when it's its southern border. Go to Matthew chapter 2. I got a question for you Bible scholars as we go to the, the Gospels. When you think about Jesus, and not Jesus in his divinity or his pre-existent form, because he's always been with the Father, he always has been, he always will be, he's eternal, he's God the Son. But when you think about Jesus in his earthly life, what would his earliest memories be of? When you think about Jesus walking on the earth, what would his earliest memories be of? You know, when I think about my life, the earliest I can remember is to somewhere around the age of two, a little bit more when I was three, and then afterwards. I can remember back to those things. So when we say of Jesus, even having an amazing memory as a man in his earthly form, what would some of his earliest memories be of? Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when the wise men of the Magi were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Hey, guess what? Egypt's where? Africa. And be thou there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so Jesus lived in Egypt for three years, from around the age of two to the age of five, or the age of three to the age of six. So some of Jesus' earliest memories of his formative years was in Africa. So you mean to tell me that Christianity never made it to Africa in those 1,500 years, even though Jesus' early years were spent in Africa? Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. As the Holy Spirit was poured out on that upper room, and 120 people were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together. Remember, this is a, a festival that people have come from all over the world to be at. 
and were confounded when they at every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How we hear every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, huh, that's Africa, and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene, that's also in Africa, specifically North Africa, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? So on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, people who came together around the room to figure out what was doing, some of those people were from Africa and grew up in Africa and spoke African languages. And what happened after this? Peter began to preach, and out of that crowd, 3,000 people were saved. You know, eventually some of these people have to go home. So you mean to tell me that none of the people in that crowd went back to Africa? That doesn't make any logical sense. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Jesus had, did tell the church to go into all the world, but they were comfortable staying in Metro Jerusalem. And so the door for the enemy opens. Satan uses a man named Saul to scatter the church and persecute the church on a very high level. It says, therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. So they were scattered, but they said, hey, if we're going to be scattered, we might as well do the will of God. They preached the word everywhere they went. Then Philip, one of those who were scattered, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and they that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And this chapter talks about the great revival that happened in the city of Samaria, in this region, in this area. Skip down to verse 26. And the angel Lord spake unto Philip, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Hey, you know what continent Ethiopia is in? Africa. Ancient Ethiopia specifically covered modern-day Sudan. And so as Philip is going, he encounters this man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for a worship. So this man is the equivalent of a very, very powerful treasury secretary. So the thing is, you know, recently people have watched, I know we've watched in my house, I don't know how many times, I watched it once, but my family's watched it many more times, you know, the Broadway retelling of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Alexander Hamilton. That is a very powerful treasury secretary, especially where the founding of this name, nation is concerned. So what happens? On this road, Philip runs in to an Ethiopian, Alexander Hamilton. And in this moment, he is reading from the scriptures. He was reading specifically from Isaiah. He was sitting in his chariot. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. 
And Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understand what you, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I accept someone should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in his chariot. The place of the scripture which he read was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaks the prophet, this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So notice what happened. This very powerful treasure, treasure secretary, this Ethiopian Alexander Hamilton, is saved. He goes back to his country rejoicing, and he shares the gospel message he received. Arrhenius of Lyons, in his book called Against the Heresies, which was written in 100 AD, 180 AD, wrote that this man, this eunuch, preached the gospel to his nation. So what you have here is over 1,400 years before the first transatlantic voyage, the gospel, transatlantic voyage of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade, the gospel is preached in Africa. It is shared in modern-day Sudan and modern-day Ethiopia, and it's already taken root in places in Egypt. Let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. We're debunking the lie that Africans and black people would never been exposed to Christianity if it wasn't for slavery. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, New Living Translation. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch, it was a multicultural church of Syria, were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. So we're seeing the leadership of the church at Antioch and when they list the prophets and teachers, they come to a man called Simeon. And Simeon, so more than likely, there's multiple Simeons. Simeon is a very popular name. And so they said, well, which Simeon are you talking about? The black guy. This Simeon is a prophet and or a teacher, and he's black. Then you get to Lucius from Cyrene. Cyrene is the city of Libya, which is part of North Africa. So you also have an African here. So tell me once again, how is it that Christianity never made it into Africa when we see multiple, multiple times it's already there? And see, it keeps going. Let's go to, here's something I also want you to understand. That after the time of the book of Acts and the time of the New Testament, after the book of Revelation, after the apostle John goes to heaven, one of the things you'll see is you have the early church fathers. The first early church fathers are the disciples of the original apostles, and then their disciples. And what you see in the first 300 years, sometimes 400 years, people call the early church fathers. Many of the early church fathers were African. 
Here are a few of them. Tertullian was born in Carthanus, Tanzania. Origen was born in Alexandria, Egypt. Athanasius, described as a dark-skinned man, was from Alexandria, and he was an archdeacon, then secretary to the Bishop of Alexandria, and later was the Bishop of Alexandria. He was known for defending the divinity of Jesus Christ and his co-equality with God the Father. He was present at the First Council of Nicaea. Augustine, one of the most famous early church fathers, was from the Gaste, which is now known as Souk Agra, Algeria. By the 4th century, the Aksumite Empire, which is modern-day Eritrea and Ethiopia, had adopted Christianity as its official religion. Their leader, King Izana, was one of the first rulers in the world to make Christianity the official religion. By the 6th century, the Nubian kingdoms of Nobadia, Madure, which is modern-day southern Egypt and northern Sudan, and Alodia, modern-day central and southern Sudan, all adopted Christianity as their official religion as well. Christianity was also in northwestern Africa, in the area today known as the Maghreb. The ancient Christian presence in north and northwestern Africa was dwindled due to the spread of Islam during the second half of the 7th century and beyond. Christianity had spread to many different parts of Africa hundreds or even over a thousand years before the Atlantic slave trade began. So it would be to believe a deception and an outright lie to believe that the only reason Africans and black people knew of Christianity is because of slavery. It is a historical untruth. It is a biblical untruth. It is an outright lie and a deception. And then they make the statement, well, it's the white man's religion. The thing is, you saw here through the Bible that Christianity came to Africa before it even made its way to Europe. Christianity is for all people. But when you read the Bible, the majority of the characters in the Bible are Middle Easterners. This is not a Western book. This is an Eastern book. So people who present it are presenting these things with historical lies and biblical untruths rooted in deception and twistedness to make you let go of the word of God you received as an outright lie and a deception. God's will for all people and all races is the blessing. And Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's Lord of all. He is the supreme in authority, and he is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And the thing is, when you get to heaven, it makes a point of saying every nation and tribe and tongue is gathered before the throne. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue giving God glory. And someone asked me one time, years ago, and they were really concerned about it. They said, well, what about the images and the icons and the statues we see? What about the pictures that we see? And what happens is, you know, sadly, people take the art and thinking that's the Bible. The art that you see is not biblical truth. That people look at the pictures created by these very talented artists in the Renaissance and think this is what the Bible looks like. It's not. What do you have? You have these believers in Jesus, these Christians, or at least those in Christendom, who are repainting biblical stories using models who live in that city. Nowhere do they say this is what Jesus looked like, or what the apostles looked like, or the early church fathers looked like. What do people usually do? They usually create things based off of themselves or what they see. So just because icons and statues and pictures don't resemble the Bible doesn't mean there's a vast conspiracy to oppress you. Sometimes art just imitates life. Now, I'm sure there are people who have used the artwork and the statues and the icons to oppress people, but it doesn't mean that is their original intent, and it doesn't mean there's some evil conspiracy behind it. It is just artwork, 
And you have to understand, just because it's artwork doesn't mean it's true. You know, one of the things that my kids love, and we listen to it probably every day, is VeggieTales. And so we've watched old VeggieTales and new VeggieTales, and my kids love VeggieTales. And in VeggieTales, they tell biblical stories. They tell parables. They quote Proverbs. They sometimes retell some of the parables of Jesus, and they retell biblical stories. But I know that as I'm watching this, this is a retelling based off of the truth of the Word of God. I fully know that, that, that the Bible character was not a tomato, a cucumber, or a blueberry. I know that. This is just artwork. This is just a creative retelling of a biblical story. My faith is not rooted in that tomato. He can preach, but my faith is not in the tomato. It's not in the cucumber. It's not in the blueberry. It's not in the asparagus. It's not in any of those vegetables. Why? It's just art. It's just a creative and anointed, a lot of times, retelling of the Word of God. But my faith is not in the retelling. My faith is in the Scriptures, and I can study out the Scriptures to know the truth and not yield to people's passing, trending things, saying throw out everything because it's not the original picture. Don't put your faith in art. Put your faith in the Word of God and what the Word actually says. Do not let go of the Word and pick up a deception. So with this lie of Christianity being the white man's religion and the Bible cannot be trusted, Satan present, seeks to present other options for belief that lead you down an even further deceptive path. With the lie of Christianity being the white man's religion and the Bible cannot be trusted, Satan seeks to present other options for belief that lead you down an even further deceptive path. And a lot of that path is filled with witchcraft. A lot of that path is filled with witchcraft. Just because they give it a different name doesn't mean it's not witchcraft. Some of this is presented in a popular form today called burning sage. One of the popular forms you see across the social media and influencers doing is called burning sage. Now what is that? Now sage is an herb. There's nothing evil with the herb. It has many health benefits when it comes to tea, aromatherapy, bathing, and many other things. However, using the burning of sage to recite incantations, cleansing through smudging, removing negative energy and evil spirits is nothing short of witchcraft. I'll say it again. Using the burning of sage to recite incantations, Cleansing through smudging, removing negative energy and evil spirits is nothing short of witchcraft. What you'll see people do is they try to burn and say, oh, I'm trying to cleanse the house of evil spirits. What? What can sage remove that the blood can't? Let that go deep through your thinking and your theology. What can a burning an herb do that the blood of Jesus can't accomplish? If you practice this witchcraft of burning sage to recite the incantations through the cleansing through smudging and removing the negative energy and the evil spirits. What you're really doing is you're not cleansing anything. You're opening the door for demons to fill your home and afflict your children and all those in your house. You're not cleansing anything. You may have this feeling, oh, I've done something. But remember, the enemy operates in deception. He's trying to get you to believe what is not true. And as you're practicing this witchcraft, all you did is open the doors. And the thing is how demons operate, they don't all flood in at once. 
It's one here and one there, and then it grows. You think about the demoniac in the Gospels. He wasn't possessed by all those thousands of demons at once. It came over a period of time. And then you don't realize, well, I'm still going to church. I still watch online. I still do these different things. And you say, well, wonder why this is happening to me. Why did that happen to my child? Why did this happen to my marriage? And you didn't realize that you've been operating witchcraft all this time, and he opened the door to demons. And now you've got demons living in your house. And now you're trying to use your authority, but they won't move because you opened the door for them to be there, and they have a right to be there. They now have a right to torment you because you're operating in witchcraft. You're operating in darkness. You believe the lie of the enemy. You let go of the words you heard, and you grabbed on to this form of darkness. Other forms of witchcraft that Satan offers as another choice are psychics, tarot cards, horoscopes, and other practices that have roots in voodoo and connecting to demonic spirits. These are all forms of witchcraft, psychics, tarot cards, horoscopes, and other practices that have roots in voodoo and connecting to demonic spirits. And so this is how the path gets worse, that you let go of the word, you grab on the deception, and you open the door for further torment of the enemy. These aren't playthings. These aren't pretend. There is darkness. There are demon spirits. The devil is real. He's not a figment of someone's imagination or a concept. And if you operate in this witchcraft, you'll open the doors for you to be tormented. Although it may seem light. One of the things we see, you know, in this nation, in this culture, in other cultures, oh, there's it's nothing really bad to it. No, it is. And it's dangerous. And you need to look at what you are doing. And if you're involved in any of these things, you need to repent. If you've been burning sage, you need to get that out your house. If you've been practicing witchcraft, you need to get that out your house. If you've been using tarot cards, you need to get that out your house. If you've been doing any of those things, you need to get out your house. If you downloaded any of these apps to help you do it, you need to delete that off your phone. And you need to depart from darkness, repent, change your mind, change your direction, and grab onto the Word of God. Some people's faith is under fire right now because of what they opened their lives to. Don't be a participant with the kingdom of darkness. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And the thing is, some of you, I had this in my heart this week, that you're struggling in your life because of things people spoke over you, words spoken over you. Some of them may have been in forms of curses by witches and warlocks and evil people seeking to do you harm through voodoo and other things. But other things were words spoken to you by parents, teachers, coaches, words that have been hovering over your life saying you're never going to be anything. You're always going to fail. These are curses that you grabbed onto and believed, and you're struggling to shake them. As a man of God, I cancel that in the name of Jesus. I canceled that curse. I canceled that word. I rebuke every word of every warlock, every witch spoken over you. I hold the blood of Jesus against it, and I curse it. They cannot curse whom God has declared the blessed. And I call you blessed. I call you whole. I say nothing missing, nothing broken. And the word of God going forth today cuts through the darkness and releases you from your captivity right now. The anointing that's flowing right now removes the burden and destroys the yoke. I command every lying spirit to let go and shut your mouth now. You cannot hold them any longer. 
You are not what they said. You are who God said you are. In Christ, you are everything he said you can be. You are not limited to those words. You are who Jesus said you are. So grab on to the truth of the word of God. Don't depart from the word. Walk in the future God has for you. God has good things ahead for you. And so at this moment, let's pause the prayer. Father, I thank you for what you've done in this message, shedding light, but I thank you for the people who are just delivered and set free. And Father, I release your healing power through these airwaves. I come against every sickness, every disease, every pain, every infirmity, every virus, every infection. You bow to the name of Jesus right now and you depart from these bodies. Father, you sent your word and you healed us, so I send your word that by Jesus' stripes they were healed, by Jesus' stripes they are healed, and you forgive all of our iniquities, you heal all of our diseases. You are our Jehovah Rapha, so I say we are the healed because you are our great physician. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. A lot of you were just healed right then. If you saw a manifestation in your body, go ahead and type below, and we just want to rejoice with you. But there's other people watching right now who've never made Jesus the Lord of their life. This is your chance. This is your option. There is a heaven. There is a hell. It's your choice where you go. You can't do enough good things to get in heaven, and it's not your bad things that send you to hell. The only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus and not making a decision for him the same as rejecting him. The only thing that gets you into heaven is making a decision for Jesus and receiving him. And so in just a few moments when we pray, if you never prayed that prayer, I want you to pray with me and come, and come to Jesus. You might say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Can I know for sure? Pray this prayer with me. You know for sure by the time we're done praying because the Bible says these things are written that you may know and be sure that you have eternal life. Or you may be a person who says you walked away from God, maybe because of some things you heard today, some lies that were told you in the past. You walked away from God, but today is the day to come back home to God. Some people call it rededicating your life. Some people call it recommitting your life. I say come back home to Jesus. You know, it says 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you need to come home to God today, while we're praying in just a moment, you confess your sins before God. You don't have to be loud with it. You can just say it under your breath. God will hear you. He will forgive you and he will cleanse you and treat you like it never happened. So let's pray. And if you're coming back to God, just repent of your sins. But if you're being saved, I want you to repeat this prayer after me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. Now, if you pray that prayer, you'll see some information on your screen. I want you to text that information to that number because of our connection team wants to reach out to you and encourage you and help you live this Christian life. Congratulations. Text that number today so we can reach out and encourage you. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.